The show is here. Yo, our mission is clear. It's time to change healthcare. Have no fear. Today is the day. This is the hour. Together, you know we've got the power. Drop the silos. We're all the same team. Patients, docs, nurses, tech, and marketing. How can anyone be satisfied with the way things have always been? Yeah, we've tried. So join us now. Join the revolution. Digital health is the evolution. Status quo, more like status, no. Yeah, this is the healthcare rap. Y'all, come on, let's go. New choices, new platforms, new care models. In the healthcare of tomorrow, consumers win. But who will design it? What will it look like? And how long will it take? We're here to answer those questions with some provocative thinking about how to create the healthcare that people actually want. Ready to roll up your sleeves, look at the world a little differently, and explore the frontiers of consumer health together? Join us. This is the Healthcare Wrap. Welcome back. I'm Jared Johnson, ready to share some more provocative thinking about building the healthcare of tomorrow. This season, we're attempting the deepest dive that's ever been done on the disruptive organizations that are likely to impact the experience of healthcare consumers for years to come. For more provocative thinking, we hope you'll follow us and check out our previous episodes, all 200 of them. This show is produced by Shift Forward Health, the channel for changemakers. Subscribe to Shift Forward Health on your favorite podcast app, and you'll be subscribed to our entire library of shows. One subscription, all the podcasts you need, and it's all for free. So here's what's going to go down today. We have the flavor of the week about reducing the costs of insulin. United Health Group is eliminating out-of-pocket costs for insulin for eligible members, and Optum is making insulin available at a very low cost to the uninsured. How much can this impact the consumer experience? I'll talk about that. Then Ann Summers-Hogg is back in the house to help us look at some industry trends through a theoretical lens. You'll hear why she refers to the term drivers of health rather than social determinants of health, as well as what the Amazon One Medical merger tells us about the capability for retailers to create disruptive innovation. It's time to dive right in. Are you ready? Let's go. Flavor of the week. The Amazon One Medical merger overshadowed some other significant headlines in consumer health, including two related announcements about reducing prescription drug costs. On July 15th, United Health Group announced that they will eliminate out-of-pocket costs in standard fully insured group plans for certain preferred prescription drugs, including insulin, and several drugs used to treat emergencies such as severe allergic reactions, hypoglycemia, opioid overdoses, and acute asthma attacks. Their press release stated that eliminating out-of-pocket expenses for these critical medications can help reduce the burden of medical costs on consumers and encourage better medication adherence, reducing the risk of complications and expensive hospitalizations. In addition to insulin, four preferred emergency use medications will be included in the new standard offering and will also have a $0 cost share. Epinephrine for severe allergic reactions, glucagon for hypoglycemia, naloxone for opioid overdoses, and albuterol for acute asthma attacks. Then there's Optum. On August 1st, they announced a partnership with Sanify to make insulin available to people with diabetes who don't have insurance. A 30-day supply of insulin will be available for $35 on the Optum Store website for those who don't have insurance. This is a quiet game changer. I wasn't sure how big of a deal this was, so I looked it up. I compared the prices of six types of insulin medication on Amazon Pharmacy and Mark Cuban's Cost Plus Drug Company, and the results opened my eyes. Mark Cuban's company didn't offer any of those meds, and while they are available on Amazon Pharmacy, their prices for the same doses ranged from $193 to $570. That's up to 1,500% higher. So yes, getting them for $35 is pretty incredible. Remember, costs matter. 
About 4 in 10 U.S. adults say they've delayed or gone without medical care in the last year due to cost, according to a study that the Kaiser Family Foundation published in July. Remember, major health plans are incentivized to keep their members healthy in ways that don't provide value in fee-for-service business models. Remember, every part of the consumer experience of healthcare has room to improve. In this case, let's help patients get their meds. Let's make them more affordable. Filling your prescription is often the second to last part of your experience, followed by the fun of dealing with the bill. So let's think outside the box and reduce costs. That's another way that we'll build the healthcare of tomorrow. And that's the flavor of the Week. Let's get into the flow, everybody. Give it up for Ann Summers-Hogg. Ann Summers is back on the Healthcare Wrap. She's a senior research fellow at the Clayton Christensen Institute and just full of good insights and, and commentary on the industry and what's happening. We're going to dive into things like, you know, the Amazon One Medical merger and drivers of health and a lot of other stuff. So first and foremost, Ann Summers, welcome back to the Healthcare Wrap. Thank you for having me back, Jared. I'm excited to be here. Well, I'm telling you, I used to tell people it was like an exclusive club to be a return guest on the show. We've been at it long enough. Uh, I'm I'm excited whenever we can bring somebody back. For our listeners, though, uh, what what did I miss in your bio? What else would you like them to know about you and your background? Yes. So as you mentioned, I am the Senior Research Fellow of Healthcare at the Christensen Institute. And before that, I worked for Atrium Health. So I was on on the provider side, I worked in innovation and strategy at Atrium Health. And before that, I spent a few years in strategy consulting with Oliver Wyman on the payer side. So I come to this position with background in multiple facets of the healthcare industry, and it makes for more robust research. So thanks for having me. Yeah. So if we can even divert here just for a second, I'm, I'm just curious from a, from a career standpoint, do you feel like understanding the payer side has helped where like the research you do now and the the ideas the things you focus on now i know a lot of folks who know the health system side the hospital side the provider side really well and don't know that much about the payer side so i'm just curious if you feel like that's helped you uh, understand the industry definitely because in healthcare payer is often the customer and working on the provider side as the supply side of the industry, it was helpful to understand how do customers think about the products and services that you're providing. So I think understanding the payer, especially in healthcare, is critical. Awesome. Well, I'll tell you what, I love asking a question to people kind of to get us going. And I'm curious what you think about this one. Can you tell us about someone you look up to and why? Yes. So I've been asked this on other podcasts and I frequently state the name of one of my longtime mentors, Dr. Jean Wright, and how I really looked up to her as being an incredible team builder and a great leader and all doing it while being a single mom. But I'm going to go a different direction this time. I do really look up to Dr. Jean Wright. But as I read your question, I was thinking today, I really want to highlight a mentor who I had at Atrium Health and He was the chief legal officer when I was there, and I got an opportunity to know him through my work in the innovation engine. He was always a supporter of the innovation team's efforts, and Gene actually told me, you know, one thing to really admire about this leader, his name is Keith Smith, is how he builds up his teammates. 
And he had this practice where he would take lawyers on his team to lunch with other executives around the health system so that these other lawyers could meet other leaders in the health system. And after I worked with him closely on a project, I asked him a few months before I went out on maternity leave, I said, could I ask you for 30 minutes of your time to get coffee or tea? I'd love to know how you manage being in the C-suite, having a family, being a triathlete. From the outside, it just looked like he you know, had figured it all out. He graciously gave me 30 minutes of his time, which for anybody in the C-suite in multi-billion dollar health system is very, very busy. So it was really nice of him to give me the time. In that 30 minutes, just the few questions that I asked him about how does he prioritize? How does he think about what he says yes to and what he says no to? And how does he manage the various different aspects of professional and personal life all while still managing to somehow find time to sleep shaped so much of what followed in my personal and professional career. And there are just little sound bites from that 30 minutes that continue to make such an impact on me day to day and that I've shared with others who I mentor. And so what I really appreciate about his leadership style was that he always took time to invest in those below him on the ladder. And I just thought that was so admirable. Oh, well, not only admirable, it's not that common. I don't feel like it's it's awesome when we can identify leaders who, who recognize the importance of doing that and kind of paving the path for those who are coming with them and recognizing the value that that brings to everybody. So thanks. So that's a, that's a great example. It's funny. I always have some topics in mind for a conversation and then things happen in the industry. Like in this case, so we just recently had the Amazon One Medical announcement and I feel like there have been opinions out there, but I still think it's worth talking about. I know you had a take on the merger. I'm just curious what, what you thought about it in general. What went through your mind when you heard the announcement? So many things. So I've tracked potential disruptors in healthcare for almost a decade now. And when I started doing this, One Medical was one of those early potential disruptors. They were, I don't know, five or six years old. They had a handful of locations across the U.S., They were in the low-cost concierge space and potentially disruptive to existing concierge models because they were more affordable and more accessible, but also in some ways represented a new market disruption because they attracted non-consumers of traditional primary care. But fast forward to 2022, One Medical It's now a 15-year-old company, once a potential disruptor, now on its own sustaining trajectory, yet still not a positive margin business. So I had a lot of thoughts when (laughs) Amazon acquired them. I think one you pointed to, which was, I'd really love to know their overall strategy and roadmap. But in the absence of that, we can put together the different pieces of the plan that they seem to be executing and through the lens of theory, determine a number of things that can help us as outsiders think about what are the implications for incumbents in the industry. And others have have said this, but I do think it's important to note that one medical doesn't serve all people. One medical serves a predominantly commercial, commercially insured population. Yes, with the acquisition of Iora Health, they also serve a Medicare and Medicare Advantage population, but One Medical is not a safety net 
primary care solution. A disruptive innovation is not a breakthrough technology that makes a good product better. Disruptive innovations are innovations that make products and services more accessible and more affordable and therefore make them available to a larger population. So Amazon has a track record of disrupting businesses, making things more accessible and more affordable and available to more people. And the question is, will the acquisition of One Medical help them to disrupt healthcare? Maybe. It depends on how they leverage the asset. But regardless of whether they disrupt healthcare or primary care by the book definition, even if they don't disrupt, quote unquote, they're still a force to be reckoned with. They're still a formidable competitor and something that incumbents should pay attention to. Does that delineation make sense? It does. It helps because I think people get caught up, especially health system leaders can get caught up in just the thought of they're a threat. We've got to defend ourselves against them. And they don't think about like, why are they a threat? What's Amazon doing that you as a health system haven't been doing up until now? Amazon wants to be the most consumer-focused company in the world. It's out there. like That's what they say. This is our vision. We want to be the most consumer-focused company out there ever, not just in the country, in the world. So health systems aren't historically built on, let's be consumer-focused, as we all know. So I think there is a level of, like that makes sense for you to be a little scared. But what I don't want to get lost is the opportunity for disrupting themselves and recognizing that they can differentiate on experience, maybe not to the degree of Amazon, but you know what? The bar is so low. I mean, we can all point to when's the last time you went to doctor, dentist, eye doctor, you know, anybody. And how was that experience compared to anything else you do in your life? Definitely. And it's a great point. But another thing I'll say about Amazon and their leaders is that they have schools of experience. They've done this before. Their CEO has a track record of building highly successful disruptive companies because Andy Jassy was the leader of AWS, which was originally not even part of Amazon's core business, right? But now it is what makes the most revenue and I believe the most profit for the organization. There's a key school of experience and past track record of success in his leadership and that he knows how to design, build, pivot, and scale disruptive solutions. And there is also another leader on Amazon's team, Aaron Martin, who was at Amazon, then went to Providence, and then went back to Amazon. And in his time at Providence, he launched and led a number of potentially disruptive solutions. So again, you not only have Jassy's history and schools of experience in building disruptive business models from within Amazon. You have Aaron Martin's schools of experience with building disruptive solutions within healthcare. And so you put those two together and along with a number of other well-equipped leaders at Amazon, and that's a leadership team, a critical asset or resource that Amazon has in their corner to help them, whether it's quote unquote, disrupt primary care or healthcare or transform it for the better for multiple populations. So I think the leaders behind the work are are a critical component. That's really worth noting. I haven't heard a whole lot about that out there. You know, I've heard a lot of opinions about the merger, but not not many people zeroing in on that part. I think that really is critical. I'm glad you brought that out. It also makes me wonder what could the value be 
to Amazon? Like where, where are they going? You mentioned, yeah, you mentioned AWS, right? So, you know, is it to try to get a health data, you know, all in, into some AWS solution that solves some of the historically, you know, challenging problems of, of uh, healthcare data, you know, are they going to try to go there and solve interoperability and go the data route is, is primary care, like the end versus a means to an end. Like, I think those are the things that, that aren't clear to me yet. And I'll be tracking uh, to see where they go. And I don't know, a a lot of uh, just open-ended questions, I think, just to track from here. To your point about the leaders. Yes. I do think that's, it's a critical resource within the business model that is Amazon is the resources that are in charge of executing whatever this healthcare strategy is. And then to your question around is primary care the end game? I would argue primary care is rarely the end game. It, at least in its current form, in most of its current forms, it does not make money, at least in traditional health systems, it's a money loser. And as one medical has shown, even with a better patient experience, when it's built on a fee-for-service foundation, it's still a negative margin business. So I would say primary care is definitely not the end game, but the question is what, so if listeners agree that primary care isn't the end game, then what is? And as I think about the other things in the Amazon health portfolio, there are a number of them. You have movement trackers, health trackers with Halo. You have pharmacy services with PillPack. You have their not talked about a lot, cancer vaccine research. You also, maybe outsiders wouldn't say this is a health asset, but I would argue it is, Whole Foods. So it seems to me that they're really compiling the different components of population health management. And what do you really need to be a population health management company? And why would they want to do that? Well, if they wanted to find a way to deliver better health for less, then they are amassing a number of the capabilities. And when I say capabilities, I mean resources and processes required to do so. And in order to do that, they'll need to set up their health entity, their health arm as a separate business model. But again, Amazon already knows that. They did that with AWS. They already know how to do that. And the, the devil will be in the, the integration details and whether they're able to execute that. But again, I have no reason to believe and none of us really have a reason to believe that they won't be able to do that given their past track record of success with setting up potentially disruptive entities separately and scaling them. Stay tuned for more provocative thinking after the break. Hey, listen up, y'all. Did you know that nearly 60% of people wish their healthcare provider sent them more relevant health information? And 42% would even consider switching to a different provider that sent them more, according to a recent survey of patients in the U.S. The vast majority of them would prefer to get that information via email or text. Persado is a natural language AI company that provides healthcare organizations with pre-developed, pre-optimized messaging journeys proven to build digital relationships, improve health goals, and increase patient retention. Deliver better health outcomes and revenue growth with Persado's data-driven content that inspires action. Visit persado.com to learn more. That's persado, P-E-R-S-A-D-O.com to find out how Persado can help.
Okay, back to the flow. That's a really good point. I'd rather not underestimate the big players, especially the big retailers. I'd rather learn from them and, and at least try to figure out what could be their end game and how do they even, like, what is their plan? And then see what, what can we learn from that? I mean, there are advantages that health systems and hospitals and that traditional providers in any other type of organization have. Their clinical expertise, their specialty care, the care coordination. I mean, there is a lot to be said for, and I don't want anyone to think that that's getting lost. I do want to leave some time here uh, to focus on something that I know has been uh, something you, you've shared a lot about, especially recently, which is a definition of what, what we typically refer to as social determinants of health. You've done a lot of research and a lot, put a lot of thought into what you feel like is a better definition, which is drivers of health. I'd love to hear more about that, like what the difference is and why you've moved towards that definition of drivers of health. Tell me about that. Yes. So the first thing I'll say is I did not come up with the phrase drivers of health. It's something that I came across a couple of different entities were using it in my research for this last paper, You Are What You Treat, that came out at the end of May. But I really grasped onto it for a number of reasons. And just to level set on what I mean by drivers of health or social determinants of health, it's macro level factors that influence how we live, work, play, and pray. So these are the factors and systems like our built neighborhood, what's the air we breathe, what's the water we drink, are there sidewalks in our neighborhood, are there safe places to play and be active. It's our social connections. It's whether or not I'm isolated or connected to others. It's do I have access to affordable and healthy food. It's about education. Is there access to high quality education for populations and it's it's factors in systems like that. So it's a really big bucket of influencers that ultimately determine people's health and life outcomes. So the thing that I don't love about social determinants of health, really there are three things. The first one is that and I believe this will resonate with you, it doesn't encapsulate the individual perspective. So research from the Health Initiative back in 2017 or 2018 uncovered that people find the phrase social determinants of health alienating, confusing, and demeaning. And if we're using a phrase that's alienating, confusing, and demeaning while trying to help people, then we lose before we even start. Because if I'm trying to help Jared and I speak to him in a way that he finds alienating, confusing, and demeaning, we're not going to get very far. The second reason I prefer drivers of health over social determinants of health is the word determinants. It makes it feel a little bit like predestination and that there's no way to change the factor or the system. Now, I mentioned that these are societal level structures and systems. So by calling it drivers of health, I'm not trying to put the emphasis on the individual and saying it's all up to the individual to change their circumstances. We all know that is not the route to go down. But I do think it takes into account the fact that both society and businesses that operate in society 
as well as to some extent, individuals have the ability to impact these factors and systems. They shouldn't be considered predetermined and things that we can't change. Now, I will caveat that to say things like early childhood education, certainly for those of us on this call who are clearly not children, that's determined, right? Jared and Ann Summers can't change their early childhood education right now. But for other factors and systems, they're able to be influenced. And I would say by using the language drivers of health versus social determinants of health, the framing and the phraseology even just changes the concept in people's minds. And then the third one, quickly, social. I listed what falls into the bucket of drivers of health and listeners would notice that these aren't just social constructs, they're economic, they're environmental, and they're social. So by just calling it social, we constrain people's thinking around what it actually incorporates. Personally, I'm not surprised that the reaction to the term social determinants of health was found confusing and demeaning. What do we hope to accomplish by recognizing them differently? That's a great question because since we came out with the paper and and mentioned this, I have had a few comments from readers saying it's just a label. Why do you think changing the label will change anything? And I believe in this instance, as in many instances, Professor Christensen really said it best. And he would often say that when we encounter a seemingly unsolvable problem, we've likely gotten the categories wrong. And in people's mind, the category social determinants of health just elicits a different thought process than the category drivers of health. And often by changing the categories or changing the label, we can change the thinking. What do you hope we're celebrating in the industry 12 months from now? Changes in medical education. So that might seem a little different than the other things that I've talked about so far, but it does build on the drivers of health discussion because for centuries, we haven't trained providers going through medical school around the importance of drivers of health and the role that they play in people's health outcomes. And we now know that access to medical care is only responsible to, for 10 to 20% of people's health outcomes and up to the remaining 80 to 90% is based on drivers of health. And there are a few forward-thinking medical schools out there who are developing innovative curriculums such as Kaiser Permanente, the newly announced Alice Walton School of Medicine, certainly there are others, but they're incorporating education around drivers of health and more of a whole health approach into into the ways that they train our future physicians. And we can't change the system if we don't change the inputs. So I hope in the next 12 months, we're celebrating how more medical schools have incorporated things like drivers of health into their curriculum. That's something I hope we really can be celebrating in the short term. That's something that it feels like it's possible. It feels like it's doable. Thanks for giving us some time today. Uh, I wonder, before we go, for our listeners who want to connect with you and learn more about you and the work you're doing and even the the paper you mentioned, uh, what's the best way for them to do that? They can follow me on Twitter, Ann Summers WH, where I 
often analyze news through the lens of theory. And also on our website, they can sign up for the monthly newsletter that I send out, which provides links to all of our blog posts that we write for the month. Again, looking at topics top of mind for healthcare leaders, innovators, and educators, and applying Christensen's theories to current events. Fantastic. Thanks for giving us so much time today, so much to think about. Uh, All the best, and uh, we'll hope to have you again on the podcast soon. Thanks for having me back, Jared. I, I really enjoyed the conversation. Thanks for tuning in. If you like what you heard, please spread the word. Tell your colleagues to tune in for all the awesomeness, then leave a review on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen. This show is produced by Shift Forward Health, the channel for changemakers. Subscribe to Shift Forward Health on your favorite podcast app, and you'll be subscribed to our entire library of shows. See our full lineup at shiftforwardhealth.com. One subscription, all the podcasts you need, and it's all for free. And remember, we might have a lot of work to do in healthcare, but we'll get there faster together. Thanks again.